There's this uh, this song. You might have heard it. I'm gonna I'm gonna do like Danny and read the words to it. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sing it to you, but uh, it goes like this: All you need is love. All you need is love. All you need is love. Love. Love is all you need. You know that song? Yeah. Well, John Lennon wrote it and sung it. And uh, what's interesting is what his son Julian said about his dad and about this song. He said, I felt he was a hypocrite. Dad could talk about peace and love out loud to the world, but he could never show it to the people who supposedly meant the most to him, his wife and son. How can you talk about peace and love and have a family in bits and pieces? No communication, adultery, divorce. You can't. You can't do it. Not if you're being true and honest with yourself. And so uh, the, the title of this sermon is Love. Let's be practical. In other words, let's practice our love. Let's not just talk about it. Let's not, let's not just agree with the, the great commandment, which we talked about last week. You know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And remember, Jesus was quoting from uh, Deuteronomy 6, the, uh, the Shema, which is the, the Hebrew word for hear. You know, it starts out, hear, O Israel. Pay attention, he's saying. This is important. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be like frontlets between your eyes. You should write them on your doorpost of your house and on your gates. So this is a very important instruction for, for God's people. It's an important instruction for, for us in our, our walk with the Lord. Uh, the idea of loving God with, with all our heart, loving others as ourselves, you know, that needs to really be our, our core essence. It needs to be the, the fabric of, of our lives. And uh, today's text is is important because it it it's kind of a follow up for what Jesus said about the uh, the great commandment. Uh, commandment, you know, Jesus is showing us how this uh, plays out in in practice. And uh, you know, we we see some uh, some good examples, and we see some bad examples of this kind of love. And so we are picking up in Mark chapter 12, verse 35. Turn with me in your Bibles, Mark twelve thirty-five. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself and the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit down at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? 
And the great throng heard him gladly. And in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes for, who, who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which made a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all who were contributing to the office bo- offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put everything she had, all she had to live on. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, I thank you for your, your word. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for, for your example, uh, your, your love for us uh, amazingly displayed in how you lived and how you died for us and how you walk with us uh, each day. So we just pray, Lord, that our, our hearts would, would be full of love to you and towards each other. In Jesus' name. Well, let's let's talk first about the uh, the first part of the great command first part of the great commandment, you know, loving God, honoring Christ. Uh, you know, during the account of Jesus's last week before his death, which is where we're at, you know, leading up to this encounter with the scribes, uh, Jesus has been fielding questions. You notice that they they've been asking questions, and he's been answering the questions and uh, you know, many of his uh, inquisitors are asking with, with the wrong motives. You know, they're trying to trick him. They're trying to uh, entrap him. But he uses these opportunities to uh, teach us some, some good things, things, things we need to know about, important things. And remember, uh, after the uh, last question about, you know, what is the great commandment? In verse 34, it says, you know, after that, no one dared ask him any more, ask him any more questions. So now that, now rather than letting his, uh, opponents, if you will, set the agenda, he's going to, he's, he's, he's going to ask his own question. And, uh, loving God, honoring, Christ. We're going to start out by looking at some some good examples from from this from this text. He starts out talking talking about David, and he quotes from the uh, the great uh, messianic psalm, Psalm one ten, and he brings up the teaching of the scribes. You know those who were among the uh, the Bible experts. You know he 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 asked this question. He says, "How is it the scribes say that the Messiah is the son of David?" And um, they know, you know, the reason they know is uh, because of the, da- the Davidic covenant in Second Samuel seven twelve through seventeen. Let me read that. He's talking to David. God's talking to David. When your days are fulfilled, you lie down with your fathers. I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall bind a house for my name, or build a house for my name, 
and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. He's talking about Solomon. And I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. So he's, you know, this prophecy is looking forward to, to the Christ, looking forward to the, uh, the, the seed of David through, through his son Solomon. And um, he asks this question, why, why is it that David calls his son, his descendant, Lord? You know, what do you think of that? Who, who calls his son or, or, or any descendant Lord? I don't think I've ever called my son Lord. <laughs> but here, you know, David, David at this time, he's king. He, he, could, he could have anything he wanted, he, anything he wanted, but he knows his priorities, you know, all of this that he has, uh, power and wealth and status and prestige, I'm sure he enjoys it all. But what's his first priority? What's his first priority and his first love? His, his first love is God. His first desire is, is God. You know, to love God with all his heart, his soul, his mind, and his strength. To, to love God and to enjoy God. In Psalm 27, 4, uh, this, this is a great verse to memorize. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. You know, in the... In the psalm that Jesus had, had quoted from the, uh, the Messianic psalm, David shows honor to, uh, to the one he knows will come after him, uh, his, his descendant who, who will reign forever, you know, the, the Messiah. And David calls him Lord. David calls the Messiah Lord. The Messiah who's, who is his descendant through Solomon. And in, in saying this, David is David is showing uh, humility before God and in, in deference to the uh, to the Messiah, who is his descendant. David is powerful as as the king. He, but he knows that the Messiah, who will come after him, is is greater than he is. Will be more powerful than than he is. And so, with great respect, he he calls him Lord. And he uses, Jesus uses here, or, or David uses two words for, uh, for Lord. Two different words. Uh, the, the Lord says to my Lord, it's, it starts. And the first is a Hebrew word, uh, which we pronounce Yahweh. Or some people will say Jehovah. You know, that's, that's the holy name that God gave Moses. Remember the story about Moses before the burning bush, and he, he asked God, you know, what, what shall I 
who, who shall I say sent me? And he said, uh, I am. What's your name? I am who I am. That's, that's the name, Yahweh. I am that I am. And uh, most English translations will try to show the, the distinction between the different words of, of God and Lord. And so they'll, they'll normally, most, most versions will capitalize all the letters in this word Lord. When you see that, uh, it's, it's Yahweh, I am. Uh, this, this is the name that modern Jews won't pronounce uh, out, of, out of reverence. The, the second word for Lord, you know, the Lord says to my Lord, is, is the word Adonai. The Hebrew word Adonai, which is a, it's a more general term. Uh, it's, it's more of a, uh, a descriptive name. You know, it, it conveys uh, a sense of respect. Kind of like uh, sir. You know, it's, it's used to address God about 400 times in, in the Old Testament. It's, uh, it's kind of a polite address. You know, uh, kind of like in Spanish. Anybody who knows Spanish that knows the word senor means Lord. It means sir. If you read a Spanish Bible, when it says Lord, it says senor. Uh, Adonai is a, uh, it's an address of respect. You know, David loves God. David honors Christ. Uh, even, even though he doesn't have a full understanding, he, you know, he's able to look ahead prophetically and, and call him Lord. And so that's a good example of, of loving God in this passage. Another good example is the, uh, the poor widow. You know, this, this poor widow doesn't have much, but everything she has, she, she gives. You know, she honors God. She loves God with her, her faith. And, uh, you know, though she has little, though she has almost nothing, she gives it all. You know, Jesus says the others have given out of their abundance, but she gave what she had to live on. You know, essentially, she gave her life. Mark gives us kind of a contrast here to this sacrificial love in, in the next section. You know, Jesus warns of a of a religious practice which, uh, rather than seeking the Lord and honoring God, is is an act of uh, self service instead, instead of God service. So that brings us to the bad examples. You know, Jesus warns of the scribes. And their self-worship. You know, these scribes are the, uh, the Bible experts of, of the time. They were, they were entrusted with studying God's word, his law, and, and, and teaching it. You remember, remember when we went through Ezra, what it said about Ezra? It said the, the good hand of the Lord was on Ezra because of three things. He, he knew the law. He taught the law, and he did the law. He loved God in this way. He loved God in practical terms. When you read through the book of Ezra, you know, you see this guy who, who loves God, who trusts God, serves God, uh, and and people in, in some amazing ways, you know, and... Uh, 
By the time of Jesus, though, the scribes had changed. They were, they were different. You know, rather than loving God, rather than uh, glorifying him, they loved themselves. Their, their actions were meant to glorify themselves. You know, they, they live for the, the attention and, and the adoration of others. You know, Jesus says this. He says they, they love greetings in the marketplace. They walk around in their robes, you know, just, just so they can flaunt themselves. You know, the way, they, the way they present themselves shouts out, you know, look at me. Look at me. Look how religious I am. Look how powerful I am. Look at my high status. They're full of... Self-adoration, self-love, pride. Um, there's this one guy I knew in, in seminary. Um, this is toward towards the end of one, one of the last classes I had. It was it was a preaching class, and some of us were just sitting around after class talking about what kind of churches we we really wanted to uh, to serve. And, uh, you know, I want, a, I want a church where God is glorified. I want a church where the word of God is, is valued, where, where Jesus is loved. And this, this one guy, uh, I'm not going to say his name, but he goes, I want a church where I can wear one of those collars, one of those, those cool collars so that, you know, I can be distinguished as, as the pastor and have respect. Okay. <laughs> That's what this reminds me of. You know, he says they, they love to wear these robes that distinguish them as highly religious people. Um, I'm not going to wear a robe or, or a collar. And Jesus says for a pretense, they, they, make, they, they, they make long prayers. You know, they, why do they pray? They pray to be heard by people. They pray to... Um, Appear good. You know, Matthew 5, 5 through 8, Jesus gives instruction about this. He says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to the Father who's in secret, and your Father who's in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. You know, far be it from me to uh, criticize anybody in the way they they pray, you know, as long as their prayer is sincere as long as it's uh, truly addressed to God and not to people. You know, our, our prayers should never serve the, the purpose of advancing ourselves or, or making us look uh, good and impressive. Uh, you know, we'd, we'd be better off uh, remaining silent if that's our motive. You know, if we pray to be seen and admired by others, what does Jesus say? He said, well, that's your reward. That, that admiration you get from others, that's it. That's all, you, that's all you're going to get. You know, you're better to not pray at all than to pray like that. But he said, you know, when, when you do pray, 
Go into your closet. Yeah, this, this is not saying that we, we should not pray with each other because we have lots of biblical precedent and instruction for, for praying together. It's, it's the motive. It's, it's, our, it's what's in our heart that, that matters. Uh, you know, one issue is we can, we can worry too much about what, what people think. I know some people. Some people don't like to pray in public because they're they're afraid of what people will think. They they they're afraid that maybe they won't sound as good or as eloquent as somebody else. You know, uh, you know, Jake does such a great job praying. I I could never pray like him, and I heard that from from a man not in this church but in another church, and. Um, he he said, you know, I'll I'll sound stupid if I if I pray. People will laugh at me or, or criticize me, and uh, I just said, well, Jim, keep your prayers simple, and short and sincere. Don't worry, don't worry about somebody else's uh, prayers. You don't need to impress anyone. You know, you're you're addressing God. Our, our, our private prayer life is is important, and I think that's that's where uh, public prayer springs from. You know, our, our our prayer with other people should be really kind of an overflow of of a deep inner life with God, where we where we do pray without ceasing. Um, what does that mean, by the way, to, to pray without ceasing? Just kind of, yeah, just a running, keep a running conversation with, with God. You know, just like you do with a, with a friend. Yeah, when I, I, I built a couple houses with, with my dad, and that's, that's what we did as we were working. You know, we just talked to each other. We didn't sit down and quit working so that we could talk. We just talked while we worked. You know, I'm, one of the things I appreciate about my wife is we can, we can do that. We can, we can just keep a, keep a running conversation through, throughout the day. You know, sometimes, sometimes we'll have some serious sit-down discussions. We all do. But uh, that praying without ceasing is just, you know, keep a, keep a running conversation, living in the, in the consciously of, of God's presence with you. What else is wrong about the, uh, the scribes? It says they love the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at, at feasts. You know, they they want to be recognized as the most prominent and important people in the room. They they thrive on recognition. You know, the picture is is one of uh, a really intense pride, which is uh, really contrary to how God wants us to be. You know, the Bible says that God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. And so the kind of religion we see in the scribes as Jesus is describing them is, is self-centered, it's self-seeking, it's, it's a, a self-congratulatory religion, it's self-love. It's a bad example. What should they be doing? Loving God. Glorifying God. Bringing, bringing recognition to 
to God and, and all they do, not themselves. Well, after, um, after loving God with, with our whole being, remember Jesus said the second part, which really flows from the first part, is uh, love your neighbor as yourself. Um, back in the 70s, like late 60s through the 70s, there was something called the Jesus Movement. And uh, yeah, I was, I was part of that. And some of us wore crosses around our necks, you know, maybe carried our, our Bibles around. And, you know, these days people wear T-shirts. I remember in, in seminary, some of the young guys had some uh, scripture tattoos on their arms. Uh, kids, don't, don't do that. But uh, Francis Schaeffer wrote a, a short book. It's called The Mark of the Christian. And you know what the mark of the Christian is? How, how we can be identified as uh, Jesus followers? Jesus said, they'll know, they'll know you're my disciples because you love one another. That's, that's the mark of the Christian. So, you know, how do the scribes do with this? Uh, not well. You know, they're, they're about themselves. They don't leave room for love for others. They don't leave room for love of God or love for others. You know, what a... I think we have a natural tendency to want to make ourselves look good. Many times at, at other people's expense... How do we do that? By pointing out others' faults. You know, God God helps us not to do this. Um, you know, the, the letter of, Dane, of James deals with love in practice. Practical love. Practical love. James one twenty seven reads, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So how do we, how do we love practically? You know, according to James, you know, it's, it's to have a heart and to have hands for the helpless. You know, the, James mentions the widows and, and orphans. Uh, Psalm 68.5 talks about God as the father of the fatherless the protector of widows. Deuteronomy 26.12 is law which describes how widows are to be uh, protected and and taken care of. Uh, Part of the tithe that was given was so that widows would be taken care of to make sure they could eat. You know, the, the leaders were to use these resources that, that came in to take care of people who could not take care of themselves. You know, but here, what is Jesus doing? He's accusing the scribes of doing just the opposite. You know, instead of taking care of widows, he's saying they're taking advantage of widows. You know, they're devouring their houses. They're depriving them of a living. You know, literally eating their houses is, is what it says. And the story about the widow 
in this story, uh, there, there's a couple things going on here. You know, it says Jesus was sitting there in the temple, and he was observing. He was opposite the treasury, and he saw people giving their contributions. There were wealthy people putting in large sums. But he calls attention to this widow who gives two small coins, you know, equivalent to a penny, you know, worth very little. And she, she gave all she had out of faith, out of love for God. And I think God honored her for that. Jesus certainly does, doesn't he? Um, you know, let me, let me point out, in the Bible, there, there are many places where the Bible talks about giving and our, our motives, uh, biblical principles we need to be aware of. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 7 you know, it needs to be our go-to passage for, for New Testament giving. It says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart. This is important. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You know, we're to determine in our hearts. And, um, yeah, I've... Normally what we, what we hear, what we think about when we uh, examine this story about the widow, and I've, I've heard plenty of sermons on it, um, I've heard sermons where this, this story was made to feel, or made people to feel guilty because they don't give enough. And, uh, you know, this, this woman's a, an example of sacrificial giving, You know the the point of some of these sermons is that we should we should give until it hurts. Um, I, I think maybe this is an abuse of the text. Uh, there's there's another point here to be made in his observation about about the widow, and I haven't heard many people talk about this. Um, but remember, Jesus a few days earlier. You know, remember, this is the last week of. of his life on earth before he was crucified, uh, had gone to the temple. And he, remember, he called the temple a, a den of robbers. He said, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. And I don't think it's a coincidence that uh, this event is uh, related soon after that. You know, it appears directly after Jesus is reprimanding the, the scribes for their abuse of widows. You know, he said that this, this, the scribes devoured widows' houses for their own gain. And so this is a picture of a uh, temple system in which the religious leaders are building up their own wealth, their own personal wealth on the back of the poor and, and the helpless. And, uh, you know, in, in doing so, they're not following this commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. You know, they're, they're loving themselves more than others. Um, you know, they're, we're all familiar with, with so-called evangelists who uh, bilk people out of their money, you know, promising wealth and, and health and prosperity. And um, I think they're, they're trying to get people to play God the way you would play a lottery, They're trying to get people to be driven by, by greed or, or maybe desperation. And, 
You can go online and find tons of investigative news reports about these kind of people and, and their abuses. You know, some of these people have uh, multiple million dollar, multi-million dollar mansions and uh, private jets and, and so forth. You know, I I personally have issue with, with hucksters who, who prey on the... Uh, the well-meaning but but gullible, and uh, I think, well, God has an issue with them too. You know, that's what Jesus is saying here. You know, this is this is uh, this is clearly in violation of God's heart for widows and and the poor. You know, and I I cringe to think what these people are going to go through when they someday stand before the Lord and give account. You know, being asked to answer for their abuse of people in the name of God. Anyway, love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might, all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's got to be real. It's got to be genuine. It's got to be sincere. That's what it, this is what it boils down to. Our, our faith needs to be genuine. Our love for God our love for others has to be authentic. It's got to be real. Our, our worship of God, our, our service to others needs to come from our, our heart. You know, our, our motives, they matter to God. So let's, let's, ask, let's ask ourselves honestly, you know, why are we here? Why do we come here every week? Uh, many... There are many who serve well here. Many who do a lot of things and, and you're appreciated. Uh, let's, let's look at our heart. Let's examine our hearts. Let's examine our motives. Are we truly doing what we do to love God, to love others? You know, what motivates us? This is, this is the point Jesus is driving home here. You know, what's what's in our heart versus what's on the outside. First Corinthians sixteen fourteen says it very concisely. It says, Let all you do be done in love. That's a good motto to live by, isn't it? Let all you do be done in love. Uh, the Apostle Paul said in Romans twelve, nine through eleven as well. Good. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. This word uh, translated as genuine in the original language of the Greek, it means without hypocrisy. You know, without without play acting. Love without hypocrisy. Love without faking it. You know, let it be genuine. And in chapter 13, verses 8, it says, Oh, no one anything except love each other. For the one who loves another will be full, will fulfill, <laughs> excuse me, the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. 
For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So, you know, what motivated the Apostle Paul? You know, he... uh, he had been very prominent in, in the uh, religious community. He, he brags about how he was you know, a Pharisee among Pharisees. He was taught and trained by, by the best. He was you know, blameless as, as far as the, the law goes. But what, is, what does he say? He says, uh, all this I, I count as excrement. Trash, refuse. I count all this as, as nothing in comparison to the riches that he found in Jesus. You know, so God's love given to us so generously uh, calls for us to love him in return. His love in us needs to overflow to, to others. You know, let's. Let, let our love be without hypocrisy. Let it, let it be real. Let's pray. Um, Lord God, first of all, uh, we thank you for, for the great love that you have shown us in, in our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, you know, how, how can we respond? How can we respond without loving you in, in return? Uh, we, we love you. Your word says, because you first loved us. And, um, you know, we confess, Lord, that our, our love is not always as it should be. Many times we, we act out of uh, selfishness or, or pretense. Forgive us, Lord. And uh, I just pray, Lord, that our hearts would, would be pure, Lord, that our, our love for you, our love for others would be genuine that it would that it would be without hypocrisy and so let us let us love well lord so that those who see us will see you in us and we pray in the name of jesus who who loved us and gave his life for us amen